Rainmaker FM. You're listening to The Digital Entrepreneur, the show for folks who want to discover smarter ways to create and sell profitable digital goods and services. This podcast is a production of Digital Commerce Institute, the place to be for digital entrepreneurs. For more information, go to rainmaker.fm slash digital commerce. That's rainmaker.fm slash digital commerce. Welcome to the Digital Entrepreneur, everyone. I am your host, Sean Jackson, and I'm joined as always by the diligent Jessica Frick. Jessica, how the frick are you today? I am diligent, Sean. How the Jackson are you? <laughs> I am well. I am well as always. So you sound we, so much better, Sean. You well, haven't been feeling well. You sound great. You know, again, as I've always said, it's for the audience. I feel like absolute uh, pounded poo-poo, but I am going to make my way through it. So <laughs> it's that showbiz flair. You got it. There you go. There you go. So we left everyone hanging last week with the question of what matters more, the quantity of leads or the process of converting leads. So I'm going to go ahead and take the uh, uh, quantity argument because I want you to go in depth on the process side. Okay. So here is my argument for quantity of leads matters more than the process for uh, converting them. Okay. Okay. If you don't have leads, who cares what your process is? <laughs> so you need <laughs> to get them <laughs> and um, you want a ton of them because being a small business, there will naturally be what I call spillage, right? There will just be people that are coming in who are, uh, you're just not going to be able to get to, something's going to break in the system. And if you had a bigger team, if you had a bigger uh, organization, then you can take care of spillage. But at the end of the day, being small, you can't deal with it. So you might as well get as many as possible so that the few that uh, don't spill out, you can convert them. That would be one argument. What say you? Well, the argument that I have would be the better argument. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, we we are a customer first company and, you know, we we always think about that customer perspective. And unless you have processes to treat them right, not only are they going to bail, but they're going to tell their friends to not talk to you. They're, <laughs> they're ah. not taking their ball. They're taking their ball and all of their friends with them. Ah. And so in order, you know, acquisition is hard, but activation and retention that requires process. And not only that, but if you don't have process, your team's going to burn out fast. And if you don't have a team, what difference does it make if you have a million leads? You can't do anything with them. Yeah, very so, good point. process is more important because the amount of leads that you have can be adjusted. But if you can't activate and retain them, it doesn't really matter. Well, see, that is a good argument. And I will counter with this. I think that when you have a process, then you're going to want to fill that pipeline up as much as possible. Right now, it may not be a perfect process, right? It may be something that is good enough to get you to some sort of revenue for the business enterprise. So at that point, once you have a process, then, of course, stacking as many uh, leads into that pipeline then becomes paramount. So if we find the middle ground, which I don't always like to do, but if we found the middle ground, <laughs> I would say that you have to have a process, 
But then once you have that process, then you want to stack up the quantity. What say you? I think that sounds reasonable. Okay. Because And I think it has to happen in that order. I think you need to have some leads, then work out your processes, then you get more leads and you tweak your processes and you're just always growing and changing with the demand. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a part of it. And I think really where the, the end output of this uh, discussion is, is that it is a, uh, a constant feedback loop, right? You have to have somebody who wants to buy what you've got to begin with, and you're going to have to put a process. And I would say, start with the process first, right? I mean, if I'm giving my honest opinion on this, I say, have a process, get some leads into it, and then continually refine both the acquisition and quantity of leads and the process that goes with it so that spillage, which is natural, can be addressed through the continuous feedback loop and continuously addressing what is occurring in your little ecosystem. And I will say this. I mean, you know, one of the things that, you know, it's always hard to take a, an argument, a side of an argument is that, you know, if you are only closing 1% of the leads that you get in, right, then you could double the size of your business by just improving the process and closing 2%. Right. But <laughs> if you only got five people, <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? So I think the end the output for our audience is very simple. It is a continuous feedback loop. It is a continuous process of putting a process in, filling the pipeline, refining the process, refining the pipeline. And that's the back and forth because literally your business can grow, not because you got a hundred million people coming in. It could grow because you're just taking 10,000 and converting more of them in the process that you have. Would you say that's a logical statement? That sounds logical to me. Good. And the nice thing about today's show is that we actually have some experts as our guest who came up with this idea of growth hacking, right? In fact, they're called the growth hackers. And yeah. when we get back from this interview, um, I'm going to let Jess really take the lead on this because she really is the process gal. And we're going to interview the founders of growth hackers and the authors of the new book, Hacking Growth, when we get back right from this break. The Digital Entrepreneur is brought to you by the all-new StudioPress Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical goods, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to rainmaker.fm forward slash StudioPress right now. That's rainmaker.fm forward slash StudioPress. Welcome back from the break, everyone. And we are joined today by two, I would say, extraordinary individuals. Just when you say that? Absolutely. We have with us Sean Ellis, who is the founder and CEO of Growth Hackers, which is convenient given the fact that he coined the term growth hacker back in 2010. But prior to being with Growth Hackers, he was the founder and CEO of Qualaroo with customers such as Uber, Starbucks, Spotify, and Intuit. And he also laid the foundation as the first marketing executive to help grow five different companies, including Uproar, LogMeIn, Lookout, Eventbrite, and Dropbox to more than $1 billion in valuation. Our second guest, who is, happens to be the co-author of their book, is Morgan Brown. 
Morgan is a startup marketing veteran with more than 15 years helping early stage companies find traction and growth. He took his first job at a startup in 1999 and then worked for a marketing agency. And then he moved to the startup world again to grow venture back startups such as Turn Here and Score Big. Morgan also writes regularly at morganbrown.co. So with that introduction, gentlemen, welcome to the show. And Jess, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you run this interview. I would love to, Sean. So Morgan, Sean, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jessica. Yeah, thanks for having us. As I've told you both, I'm very excited to read your new book when it comes out. And so since we're talking about business growth on this week's episode, I figured you guys would be perfect men to ask these questions. So my first question, at a philosophical level, what is the mindset you need to be successful with growth hacking? Uh, I'm, I'm happy to take that one. So I, I think you have to have this recognition that everything you're doing, there's a better way to do it. And the only way to figure out the better way to do it is through testing. And that 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 testing should really be directed toward delivering more value to users. And when you do that, growth seems to be uh, an outcome of that. So that's that, that that can just continuous improvement mindset would probably be my that what I would latch onto the most. Anything you'd add to that, Morgan? No, I completely agree. I think the just the understanding that there's always a, a better way to do things and that you can constantly improve is really at the heart of growth hacking. And I think the only other thing that I would add is that as people, we we tend to underestimate how fast things are changing out in the world and and how fast. Uh, you know, people's behaviors are changing, the competition coming and going. And so that constant, you have to pair that constant improvement mindset with an urgency to move as quickly as possible and and not be, um, you know, not be kind of uh, caught off guard with with how fast things are actually moving. So I would add, you know, an urgency to that constant improvement. That makes a lot of sense because I, I would imagine it's very easy to get stuck. Now, you guys talk a lot about big businesses and you know rapid, successful growth. How can a solo entrepreneur use growth hacking given the huge demands on their time already? Well, we talk about big businesses. Most of the businesses that I worked with were, were tiny businesses when I when I started working with them. So <clears throat> Dropbox, for example, was... <laughs> was less than uh, 10 employees. And um, I know that's still not a solo entrepreneur, but I think for a solo entrepreneur, you you want to um, you want to basically be able to think holistically about the customer experience and not just gravitate toward I need more customers, but instead think, how do I get someone from you know consideration of my product to actually coming in and experiencing it and um, and really, Really thinking about that full journey from there, and and just an understanding that there's a lot of there's a lot of levers that can be flipped, and especially for for a, a solo entrepreneur who doesn't have a lot of uh, time and potentially resources, making sure that the focus is on the area where you're going to have the biggest impact is is really important. And sometimes the biggest impact is not you know going out and spending a lot more money or figuring out how to get a lot more customers potentially interested, but figuring out how to convert and retain the customers that are already uh, coming to you, for example. 
That makes a lot of sense. And so that brings me to my next question perfectly. You talk about leverage being an important part of growth hacking. What does that really mean to you? Kind of to, to Sean's point is that there's so many things that you can do to try to grow your business. And, um, you know, what I always try to think about when, when I'm working on my own business um, or working with the companies uh, that I work with is, you know, is what I'm, if I make a difference in what I'm doing right now, will it make a difference to the to the outcome of the business? And I think that's, you know, the the essential idea of leverage is is finding the one or two things that you can do and change and improve on that will create, you know, outsized results. So um, as a as a solo entrepreneur, as a business owner, there's a million things you could focus on. Uh, at any one time, but you only have so much time and so much, you know, and so much money uh, to really, you can't do it all. And so in growth hacking, really one of the first steps is identifying where you have the most leverage, where if you're able to improve that one or two things, uh, it will create uh, dramatically better results and kind of outsized gains um, as a as a result of that. I could give a quick example from Log Me In about just the power of leverage. Sometimes, uh, Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, sometimes it's a little bit abstract without a a specific example there. So at Log Me In, we uh, tried to grow the business initially, and I approached it as as most marketers do initially, where I just went out and started buying ads and could could actually work on landing pages a little bit. But what I found was we quickly hit a wall at about $10,000 a month and how much we could spend to acquire users and, and get a positive return on investment. And what I was looking at, though, was that was I, I was looking at, you know, optimizing to get people to, to sign up for the product. But basically, majority of the people who signed up never actually used the product. Hmm. And so if they didn't use it, then they weren't going to pay us anything. They weren't going to tell their friends. They weren't going to uh, you know, stick around. So what I looked at, it was really beyond my control to do most of the things after they registered, all of the things that needed to be done were beyond my control. So I brought the data to our CEO. We were still small enough where it wasn't that hard to get the company to turn on a dime and and realize that this activation area was where our leverage opportunity was. And so the sign up to usage was a goal that we, we put as a, as an overall team where we all focused our energy on improving that Took a few months of experimentation there, but we were able to get about a thousand percent increase in the number of people who signed up and actually used the product. And once we had done that, we went back to the same channels that previously scaled to ten thousand dollars a month, and now we could spend over a million dollars a month on those channels and, and have a yeah. We we the money was paid back every three months, so we we got a fast return on that on that investment. So it just shows that power of leverage where. A lot of people are are thinking about, you know, growth hacking. It's this really creative trickery, but you know, ultimately, we we were fixing something that was kind of confusing in the onboarding path of a new user, and then with no new creativity, we were much more effective on our customer acquisition. So that's just like you, you that that's really this idea of leverage is just finding what's that choke point that's really preventing your growth. So you're talking about activation and acquisition as, you know, huge levers. One thing that I was reading in, you know, the pre-order materials for your book, you were talking about testing at a high tempo. 
And of course, when I read that, I'm like, oh my gosh, how fast can you actually do that? Doesn't testing take time? How would you recommend someone with a very small business go about something like that? You have to start where wherever you are. So if you're if you're a very small business and you haven't done any testing at all, the first step is to commit to experimenting and to try to experiment with with the things that you're doing. So, um, you know, my mom is a solo entrepreneur. She runs her own little business, and I was talking with her about the book, and she's like, "How can I start uh, testing?" And I said, "Well, you send that that weekly newsletter out." Uh, every, you know, constantly, have you ever experimented with that? And she says, no, I just send it. And I said, well, great, start experimenting with the subject lines to see which ones uh, generate the most open. So more people are reading your newsletter. Um, And I think really, you have to kind of take that approach of um, just uh, make a commitment to start experimenting and then try to speed up and and build in more experiments as you get more comfortable uh, and more adept at, at running them. You know, once you kind of get the hang of what it means to experiment in your business and experiment on the parts of your business that have the most impact, then you can increase uh, the velocity. You know, uh, Sean and I um, talk a lot about you know, there's two ways to go fast. You can go fast like a Formula One race car going around a hairpin turn, or you can go fast like a truck whose brakes have gone out on a mountain road. Um, and you definitely don't want to be the trucks whose brakes have gone out. So I think it's really about um, trying to build your speed as you get more comfortable experimenting. And sure, some companies like Amazon are going to run thousands of experiments. Uh, that's not really, you know, that's not really what we're talking about. If you're a, a solo entrepreneur, it's about you know trying to experiment, um, you know, just on a regular basis and building up your ability to to do more and more tests. Uh, Sean, I don't know if you want to add anything to that, but that's yeah, kind of I how just I think about just it. a yeah, a couple of things. Um, there's there's tools out there like Unbounce for landing pages and and Optimizely, and as as uh, Morgan was talking about with email, there's there's really easy tools for doing these tests where some of these tests take five or 10 minutes to implement. They're, they're super fast with the right tools. So it's not, it's not really something that a, uh, a solo entrepreneur shouldn't, shouldn't have the capacity to do. And they could be so high impact on the business that, um, you know, banging your head against the wall when, when it's because you have the wrong headline on your page and that headline's really easy to test in something like Unbounce, um, it's, uh, it's, it's worth doing those tests. Absolutely. And another thing you guys were talking about um, in hacking your funnel is retention. So a lot of these things that we've been discussing, you know, talk about acquisition and whatnot, but subject lines on newsletters, that's retention focused. And you can also just keep them coming back for more. Mm -hmm. One of the things with retention um, is... Yeah, the right first experience is probably the most powerful way to drive drive retention. That makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, if they don't use the product correctly the first time, they're not coming back. Now, do you think people should be giving more focus to existing or new when it comes to growth hacking? Um, I personally feel like it should be it's sh- like the the highest leverage that I see for most companies who who are just getting started is is around activation. So it is, it is kind of sits right in the middle of the existing and new. It's, it's essentially, it's essentially that first user experience. And, and really, I, I like to start with the most passionate customers, really understand what, how they're using the product, the benefit that they're getting, 
and then build messaging that reflects that on the surface level and then start to, to make the, the actual experience of a new user coming in uh, experiment to, to get them to the experience as quickly as possible that, that will make them a passionate customer. Now, here's a question for you. I have my own personal thoughts on this, but I would love to hear your ideas on hacking growth and surveys. How do you feel about directly asking people what they want? Yeah, well, Sean, I'll let you kind of take take kind of maybe the mechanics of it. But I mean, I sure. think, um, you know, Sean and I are both passionate about uh, surveying users, going right out and talking to them. It's growth hacking for us uh, is really a data driven, you know, scientific approach to figuring out what moves the needle in your business and what helps you grow your business. But that data isn't just the numbers in your analytics. It's also the qualitative data you get uh, from your customers. Um, the data in your analytics can tell you what's happening, but only customer feedback can give you that context to tell you, to help you understand why the behaviors that you're seeing are actually occurring. And so I think at every step of the customer life cycle, it, there's a there's a case uh, for surveys and um, a case for customer input. So Sean, I don't know if you want to can talk about some different ways to use them, but yeah, I mean, just the, the only thing I was going to say on the high-level question of to survey or not to survey was, is that um, I, I, interestingly, I had a, a VC way back in the early days of Log Me In who um, who pushed me to talk to customers and do surveys, and I I told him him at the time, I don't actually care what customers say, I care what customers do, and I'm going to test, and and surveying is really not that important to me. And he said, well, I just invested a lot of money and you're going to do surveying. So <laughs> I, I said, okay. And, uh, and so I really just went through the motions of surveying for, for several months. And then one day I realized that my tests were so much better because I had the insights from the surveys. I was no longer guessing with my tests. My tests were addressing real problems that were revealed in these surveys. And so um, I actually ended up later on, uh, building a, a survey business that we sold last year. So I, I became such a convert to the importance of surveys that I, that I focused all of my energy on it for a few years. Yeah. And I think one of the things that, um, you know, business owners who are listening should kind of take away is it's, it's not a one-time thing. Like you don't just survey people and say, okay, I know what people are thinking, but you have to build it in to your your overall business process. So um, at the business that I run, we survey our customers, you know, once a quarter, um, just the whole customer base once a quarter to kind of understand how we're doing. Um, and then we also are running surveys as people sign up for the service or hit a landing page and then go away um, without signing up. We try to survey them. Um, so there's it's kind of a continual process of getting feedback in um, and not kind of a one-time event. Interesting. And so as you add more surveys, would you consider that a dovetail with your experimental testing? Uh, yeah, it can't, a, it, yeah, it definitely can be. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, it's an input to help you figure out what to experiment on, right? So if you um, get a bunch of feedback that a particular part of the product or service that you offer isn't particularly valuable or um, on the flip side that, you know, there's one or two things that really stand out to people as the, the, the ultimate value of what you offer, 
you should use that input uh, to kind of just, you know, feed into your marketing and customer acquisition efforts, how you refine and develop new products and, and so on and so forth. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, you know, that may be the answer to my last question here. Aside from buying Hacking Growth, obviously, <laughs> which they could do at growthhacker.com, aside from buying Hacking Growth, what is the one tip you have for small businesses and solopreneurs who might be listening to this to deploy the growth hacking model to their online business? So I, my tip, and then we'll let Morgan give his tip, but my tip would be um, just quantify the number of tests that you're running. So uh, if, you, if you run zero tests today, that's your baseline, and then start to track the number of tests you're running and try to get it to the point where you're running you know, multiple tests per week. And when you run multiple tests per week, then, then you'll get smarter about which tests you run and where you focus those tests. But for most people, it's about moving from not testing at all or very few tests to actually running more tests. And, and it's through those tests that you learn about what, what's going to work and what's not going to work. So there's a lot of other pieces that go into place to, to running really great tests, but start by just committing to running more tests. Love that. Yeah. And my tip would just be uh, to look at um, your business currently and, and look at how you acquire uh, new customers and, and how those customers turn into revenue for your for your business and identify, like Sean said, the one main pain point or choke point where those where those customers are falling off, where that that process of turning a, a new visitor into a customer is is failing and really try to understand that pinch point or that choke point and and lean into there to try to improve that. I think too often um, as business owners and marketers, we kind of take for granted what what's broken is kind of the way things are and we go try to find new opportunities. And I think um, that's a bit of a mistake. I think uh, the better thing is to look at what's already happening and then try to find the, the main uh, choke point or pinch point and fix that first. Love that. Love that. And I love that you guys have, you know, used that word activation as a real important process, a, a real important part of the process to really focus on, you know, in the middle of new and existing. So thank you so, so much. I would encourage everyone to visit growthhacker.com to learn more from Sean and Morgan and Gentlemen, I know you're very busy with all of your book launch stuff. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Well, thank you, Jess. We really appreciate the opportunity to share what we're working on with you and, and your audience. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. We really appreciate it. And we'll be back right after the break. Hey, everyone. This is Sean Jackson, the host of The Digital Entrepreneur. And I want to ask you a simple question. What is your business framework for selling digital goods online. Now, if the question perplexes you, don't worry, you are not alone. Most people don't realize that the most successful digital entrepreneurs have a framework or a general process for creating and selling their digital goods in the online space. And one of the best free resources is Digital Commerce Academy. Digital Commerce Academy combines online learning with case studies and webinars created by people who make a living selling digital goods online. And the best part is that this material is free when you register. Are you interested in joining? Well, I'll make it easy for you. 
If you're listening to the show on your phone and are in the continental United States, I want you to send a text message to 313131 with the keyword digits, D-I-G-I-T-S. And when you send that text message, we will send you a link to the registration form right to your phone. Are you outside the United States? Don't worry. Just send us an email to digits at rainmaker.fm. Either way, we'll send you a link to the registration form so that you can sign up for free for Digital Commerce Academy. And as a special bonus, we will also subscribe you to our newsletter when you text or email us so that you can stay informed with the latest insights from the show. And don't worry, we respect your privacy and we will not share your email or phone number and you can easily unsubscribe at any time. So if you want to start building or improving your framework for selling digital goods online, then please send a text to 313131 with the keyword digits or send us an email at digits at rainmaker.fm. You won't be disappointed. Welcome back from the break, everyone. So Jess, now it's time for our recommendations for the week. What should be people reading or using this week? Obviously, I have to go with the book Hacking Growth. Um, I know this show is going to launch just before it comes out, and they have some pre-launch bonuses, but it's going to be worth every penny after it comes out. I have pre-ordered the book, so I can't wait to read it. But I know that just the information that these two gentlemen have in their head is worth every penny spent. I cannot wait. And that's at growthhackers.com. Is that where it is? Or growth, hacker, growth, growth Hacker. Yes, Growth Hacker. I know there's two of them, but it's right. singular. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that's my recommendation. What's yours, Sean? Mine's going to be clearbit.com. And I'm going to tell you why. And if I, if you were familiar with it, you'll understand. If you're not, let me explain what it is. Clearbit.com has an API, which is a fancy way of saying they have a way for computers and systems to talk to each other. And what it does is it can take email addresses and append additional information like people's Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn profiles, the companies they work for, their titles, where they're located, all automatically. And the one feature that they have that I really do like, which I think everyone who's listening should put it on their site right away, is they do have the ability for you to take the Clearbit API, clearbit.com, get the API key, and you can put it into Google Analytics. So all of the visitors to your site, it can start appending information to the visitor data. Isn't that cool? Creepy and also awesome. <laughs> so I'm a huge fan of that system. And trust me, we have tested so many of them out. If you haven't had a chance, go to clearbit.com, sign up, get their API key, put it into Google Analytics. It is totally worth it. They also have a Google Sheets feature, so you can take email addresses and Google Sheets and append additional data. I mean, it's it's probably one of the best tools out there that I found for augmenting customer data with additional data points. So we've got Hacking Growth at growthhacker.com and we've got Clearbit API at clearbit.com as our recommendations for the week. So just to end the show, what is the question for the week? Well, you know, talking with the guys, we were discussing all of this growth, and I wondered, Sean, when is it the right time to bring in help? Mm, you mean outside help, right? When you should you outsource some things versus try to do it all internally? Yeah, well, I mean, or, you know, when when do you need to augment your team mm -hmm. with 
someone to keep you from going crazy. Yeah, and I think that's true because there is definitely an idea of the fact that we as a solo entrepreneurs want to do it all ourselves, right? Maybe we do need some outside help. Um, you know, when do we bring that in? When does the decision? What do you say you, you by the way? What do you when do you think you should bring them in? I think you bring them in early before you lose your mind. Oh, no, see, I'm going to take the opposite. I'm going to say later. You got to figure out what you're doing so you can instruct them what to do. But you know what, Jess? What's this that? deserves a bigger conversation. And we're going to do that <laughs> next time on The Digital Entrepreneur. Everyone have a great week. Thanks for listening. 